This is Dennis Rundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Swami Ashoka Nanda. Yeah, he has been a monk since 1973 and is one of the integral yoga's foremost teachers. He studied with Swami Satchidananda. And uh, we want to thank you so very much, Swami, for taking the time to come on the show with us today. Thank you, Phil and Dennis. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Swami, as the listeners already can tell from hearing your voice, you are American, yes. not Indian. Uh, <laughs> maybe you can, uh, we can start. We want to talk about uh, Swami Satchidananda, your illustrious guru. Uh, yes. But we, let's start by hearing how uh, your spiritual life began and how you uh, came to meet him. Okay. Uh, well, my first actual, I guess you can call it meeting, was uh, the Woodstock Music Festival, 1969, with about 500,000 other people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go, I put quote meeting in quotes because he was way up there, but I do think he had impact on the 16-year-old fellow, uh, because about a year and a half later, I did seek him out, and uh, ultimately, he became my guru. Um, what happened in my life is that I grew up without any uh, spiritual background. My parents were Jewish, but they didn't teach me anything about religion. I don't know if we were atheists or we never said anything. Uh, but uh, like many people my age, I don't know, you guys sound similar to my age, uh, uh, psychedelic drugs, uh, particularly LSD, seem to shake up my world and make me ask fundamental questions. And from there, I became spiritually curious, at least. And uh, it became to me that I wasn't going to learn what I needed to learn in college. So I dropped out. But the Vietnam War was going on, and I had a low draft number. There was a draft at the time. So I would be going to Vietnam if I, if I didn't have the college deferment. So uh, I applied for Conscious Objector, and by some miracle, I, you know, I thought it'd be a Quaker or something, you, I, I received that. But you have to do two years of alternative service. And I went to the yoga center, Integral Yoga in New York. I said, if they need, do you guys need any help? And they said, yeah, 1970, yoga's booming. We need all the help we can get. I went back to the military review board. I asked if my alternative service could be with this nonprofit yoga center. And they, like a second miracle, they approved that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even a bigger so miracle. At, yeah. at 19 years old, I moved into uh, the, uh, the New York Indigo Yoga Center. But they called Swami Sachidananda. Um, I was in the room at the time. He was in Europe. They said, we have this gung-ho guy here named Jeff. That was my name at the time. And uh, we're going to send him to Washington, D.C. Uh, they need help there. And there was a long pause on the phone. And uh, I didn't think he knew me at all, but he said, no, send that fellow to Hartford, Connecticut. I think that's where he should be. Hmm. So I went to Hartford, and the, the, the beauty of that was that he moved from New York City to Danbury, Connecticut shortly after that. Hmm. And I was, the, I was at the closest center so he would call up and say, uh, you want to come, maybe bring some people, do some landscaping around my house. Say, yeah, good, we want to come. Uh, he said, you know, we're coming for karma yoga. You're coming to work, not to see me. He said, yeah, no, no, we're just coming to work. But he would always come out, work with us, 
come come with tea and cookies and sit with us. And so I got to see him in a way. If I was sent to Washington, I would. He'd just be this man on the stage, uh, this great guru. But I got to see him up close and personal in a way that was so wonderful to watch. Because I think that's really how you absorb spiritual life is by watching someone in that state and just watching their basically day-to-day movements. So uh, that's how it all started for me. Uh, uh, I, I lived at our Connecticut Center for uh, a number of years before I officially was ready to make that commitment that he was my guru. But I read, you may have heard of uh, uh, the, the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna by M. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, in that, he talks about the importance, like it's crucial to receive a mantra from an enlightened being. So I read that, I got all fired up, and I wrote to Swami Satchananda and said, you know, I, I'd like to receive a mantra from you, but I don't know if you're my guru, because they say when the disciple is ready, the guru appears. I don't know if I'm pushing this or you're appearing, uh, but can I receive the mantra? And I got a, a message from his assistant to call him, which was the first time I, I was ever going to speak to him like that. So I was pretty nervous. And it was beautiful, that conversation. It still kind of rings true for me, what he said. He, first, he said, I really appreciate that you're asking this question because many people just receive the mantra. They don't feel the connection to the guru. Uh, so I'm glad that you're at least asking this. And he said, it's better to have that connection to the teacher who's giving you the mantra. Uh, and this type of decision, you really can't make with the mind. The mind is like the moon, It has no light of its own. It's a reflected light. For this type of decision in your life, you need to go to the actual sun and receive the input from there. If you're going to decide what movie to watch or what to eat, you can can go to the mind. But if you really want to make these bigger decisions in your life, then you should, you need to wait till the sun guides you. And that sounded right to me. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, uh, how will I know? <laughs> he says, you'll know. So months passed by, nothing. I don't get any sun. I don't know what the sun is. Uh, and then it happened. Uh, I was in a kirtan, and it's hard for me to describe it, but uh, just I knew exactly what he meant, and I knew I was receiving the information from the sun that uh, this was my teacher, and I should uh, go ahead and take the full commitment and the initiation and uh, and I did that, and it took about a year. It took me six months before I got the son to speak to me, and then about six months before uh, initiation was available. Uh, so it was about a year after that conversation with him, and I was really ready for it by then. So that was my path to discipleship. And, and uh, if I can follow up quickly, Dennis, um, first of all, anybody our age who remembers how hard it was to deal with the draft... Right, yeah. um, <laughs> you are really blessed. I know. <laughs> um, but secondly, um, w- when you took initiation, was that the moment you became a Swami, or did that come later? No, that's uh, that's uh, uh, the formalizing of discipleship. But uh, he has many disciples, I'm such that uh, did not become monks. Right. Actually, a very mm-hmm. small percentage, maybe, I don't know, one or two percent mm-hmm. ended up becoming monks. When we, at that time, actually, I was 1970, 
two, I think. At that time, we didn't even have a monastic order. Uh, in 1973, he said, uh, I'm thinking of creating a monastic order. Uh, we'll first start off in what's called Brahmatari Diksha, like the pre, mm-hmm. pre-monastic stage, or I guess what uh, uh, I think nuns call it... Um, Novitiate stage, yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, he he included me in a list of people he thought could be ready for that, and I was Mm. so excited to hear that. But had I had one lady friend, uh, she was a married lady. We had a botanic relationship. She was like a teacher to me, a very mature soul who I looked to for guidance. And I was all excited. I told her about me become, taking this monastic vows. And she said, really? Uh, I'm not sure about that for you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and she could see things in me there. And, and she was the only person besides Gurudev who could make me pause and for a moment and reflect. Am I really ready for this? Is this really what I want in my life? So I was really happy that she came to me like that. And I did take about two weeks. And I did see what she was talking about. I did see all my desirous nature and how I hadn't finished off many things and I was pretty inexperienced in life. But then I, I looked at the whole picture. I said, you know what? I still think I need to do this. Right. So well, let, let, I became a... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I became a pre-monastic monk, uh, Brahmacharya Diksha. And then about a year later, uh, he started the full monastic order, the Order of Sannyas. Mm. And 27 of us, uh, became monks that that day. Guru Purnamar, 1975. Out of those 27, only seven of us are left now. Uh, uh, that was my next question. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. yeah. So many of them. You know, there were young people like me. Uh, <laughs> many of the monks married each other. You know, right, uh, <laughs> it, it, it happens. Or they, it, mostly, you know, it became some attraction to someone. But sometimes they just felt. The life was just too constricting for them. Right, right. Let, right. let me ask well, he, you about. He said something. Very, go ahead. Go no, ahead. go ahead. He said something very interesting the day we took initiation, uh, my, the um, sannyas initiation. He said, "I really want you to think about what you're doing. Write it down. Why you're doing this? What you're giving up to achieve what? And then look at it regularly." So I did this genius thing. Was I wrote it down. I put it to a James Taylor song, and I sing. I said, "What do I? What can I? What's the thing that I do regularly? I take a shower. Pretty good at taking a shower. I sing it every morning. This is like 45 years later. <laughs> every morning in, in the shower. I've tweaked it over the decades, but because I want every word to really resonate authentically for me. But uh, I, if I'm still a monk wearing my robes, where many have left, it's because every day I sing that song in the shower. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Uh, and it kept me on track. Wow. I, 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 a couple of and he said, you should do the same thing. You should, a married person should do the same thing. You know, uh, any big decision, it's good to, uh, you know, why am I doing this? And keep it in mind. Like right. people move into our ashram now in New York, I make them do this. Write down why you're right. doing it, what mm. you're hoping to achieve. Because it all gets muddled after a few right. months, a few years. Uh, you forget, why did I do this? It, Swami, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, one is, sure. uh, uh, you know, you got into this routine. Uh, 27 of you were initiated. You became monks. What was your re- routine then like? What was your daily routine like? And over the years, I mean, it's been 45 years or whatever uh, for you, were there times when you had doubts 
and you thought that maybe this wasn't appropriate, even after five years, 10 years, 30 years, because I, I know that happens within other monastic orders. I'm sure it happens in all monastic orders that there are crises of, of, of faith or whatever where that is questioned and, and uh, what has kept you going. So first though, what was your daily routine and did you hear, hit those blocks along the path? Yeah, I'm a little bit of an oddball in that uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm fanatical about keeping a discipline. Right. Uh, I think I'm vata, a little vata deranged mm-hmm. according to Ayurveda, so I need structure. So uh, I cling to structure in a way that sometimes is unhealthy. Uh, Swami Satsunanda uh, sometimes tried to loosen me up that, you know, it doesn't mean you're a failure if you go a little bit off your structure occasionally. <laughs> but but uh, uh, so the structure is basically uh, wake up, go to morning meditation, do your Hatha Yoga. In a, we do all this in a group, mm-hmm. both the morning meditation and the Hatha Yoga we do in a group individually. So it's, no, it's not a taught class, but we stay in the same room, something like the Ashtanga Yogis do, you know, their own uh, practice. We practice uh, on our own, but we stay in the same room. And then uh, we have start our Karma Yoga period, noon meditation, lunch, uh, you know, we're all vegetarians. Uh, and then uh, uh, afternoon Karma Yoga, evening meditation, and then I do some extra evening sadhana, which has proved kind of crucial to me. I don't eat dinner at night, or so I eat one meal a day, so I try to make it the, the, the lunch meal. So my dinner at night is a half hour of pranayama. Mm. And I really feel nourished by that, relaxed and nourished by that. And the interesting thing about that practice is if there's anything unresolved in me, because I, I, over the years I've developed a practice where I can retain my breath for a long time. Mm-hmm. And in that stillness, if there's anything still unresolved, uh, anything I haven't worked through, it'll come to the surface during that quiet time when I'm retaining my breath. Sometimes it's from that day, sometimes it's from a week before, sometimes it's from my early life, my childhood. And then after that, I write. I write about that. Uh, whatever, in other so I don't have to dream about it in my subconscious. I, I, I try to consciously look at it and write it. And I find my sleep, I used to have this terrible insomnia. Now I can sleep when I sleep. It's so mm-hmm. wonderful to let stuff come up and then uh, consciously look at it and put it down on paper and, and try to understand, uh, like, uh, examine life is so important. Uh, and then, um, and then I'll do because I mostly sit a lot during the day. I'll do some uh, a little some hatha yoga, again a second gentle set for maybe twenty minutes. And uh, mm-hmm. that's the, that's basically the structure of my day. And, and then the, like the, the second part of the second part yeah. of the question was uh, over the years, the 20, the number of years that you've been a monk, uh, did you ever uh, give it a second thought? Or have you been 100%? It was never a question in your mind that this was the right decision all along the way. Yeah. Uh, I think I'll segue into that second question just by saying, um, once Swami Sashnanda left the body, I took on one of the key roles of traveling the world to our different centers to support them. Mm-hmm. So now I travel a lot, which means... Once you're traveling, you can't follow a set routine. I have to 
my host will tell me when I'm eating, when I'm meditating, when yeah. there's time. So th- that's also beautiful that to have to surrender that. And in my travels, I did uh, have a form of a, a relationship, I would say inappropriate for a sannyasi with a, a woman in Argentina. I never had a doubt about sannyas. I knew that I had to work through that. And she also never wanted me not to be a swami. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a doubt about my past, but probably some experience that I didn't have that I needed to go through. And you can say, you know, I think you can say it was a mistake or you can say it was a lack of integrity as a monk. Uh, but I, I think probably I needed that experience to really be very clear about what I'm doing in my life. And it really reaffirmed uh, my direction. So to answer your question, I don't think I ever really had a doubt about, because even I said to this lady, you know, I could become a minister. We have ministers, which, you know, are married people. Maybe that's what I should, she never thought, she said, no, no, you're, you're a monastic. And I said, yeah, that's, that's, I really feel like I'm a monastic. So um, I never had a doubt really about that. Uh, mm. But I can't say I, I I kept my nose to the grindstone the whole. No, it's very it's very honest, and I think that is. yeah, it's very common. I mean, uh, and by the way, Thomas Merton, famous Christian monk, went through the right, same yeah. thing. He fell in love with a, yeah. a nurse, uh, and then decided, you know, that love was real and all, but decided uh, ultimately he was a monastic. So I think that's uh, that's normal and good and honest and oh, that's and so healthy. good to hear that. Yeah. someone as great as him. Yeah. And the one thing I can say from this experience is I really felt that this woman opened my heart in a way that opened my heart to everybody. Mm-hmm. I think opening your heart to a person is only a doorway for some kind of broader universal love. And I think I needed that someone to kind of punch my heart open so I could be open to, to the universe. Right. That's great. Thanks for being so open about that. <laughs> Thank you. For, uh, uh, I, I want to, I want to be authentic and have full disclosure about my life. That's great. Um, now, we've been talking about you and Satyadananda. For the sake of uh, the listeners who may not be familiar with who he was, uh, tell us about him. Uh, tell us his story. I, of course, wrote about him, so right. uh, I know stuff. But please uh, share what you can about who he was, how he came to the U.S., and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he grew up in... Uh uh, Tamil Nadu, South India, an agrarian family, I think a, a fairly well-to-do land-owning family. Um, he showed some spiritual signs, as many of these great people do at a very young age. Uh, and he also showed signs of not wanting to accept certain traditional values that didn't make sense. Uh, he never believed in this untouchable business. He, he, saw, he believed everyone was, had the same divine spark in them. And he ultimately believed that all the religions uh, were talking about really one thing in different ways. So one of his main teachings became truth is one, pass are many. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that has become very meaningful. Many of the people who come to our center, they see our logo with the different face around it. Mm-hmm. And they, and they say, that's what I'm looking for. Finally, someone's not saying this is the only way, you know. 
Um, so he believed that from a very young age. Um, he went into married life. He had children. Uh, his wife passed away. Something like the Buddha, uh, he felt that he had a different calling. He left uh, his children with his parents, and uh, he he did what he had to do in terms of uh, following his soul. Uh, some people might say it's not responsible, but I think when you really have that calling, uh, I think you really have to obey that. And uh, he lived, uh, he finally found, you know, he, he had some different, he lived with uh, Sri Aurobindo, uh, Swami Ramdas, um, Rama Maharshi. Uh, he was saying that how, when he, he was there the, toward the end of Rama Maharshi's life when mm-hmm. he had cancer and uh, Ramana, uh, he, he said that uh, he really, it was hard for him to watch Ramana uh, experience with cancer. So he mm. said, uh, you know, sir, I really have to leave. I can't watch, watch this happening to your body. He says, what's happening? Uh, it's not a big deal. It's just my body. You know, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. Uh-huh. He said, that's good for you. That's fine for you, Ramana. You know, you're at a certain level. I'm not at that level yet. <laughs> so he left. He went to the, he went up north. He went to the uh, Himalayas. He met uh, Swami Shivananda, who became his ultimate guru. Mm-hmm. And he lived there for a number of years. Uh, and in Rishikesh. Uh, in Rishikesh, yeah. Uh, the ashram there. Uh, and then uh, some devotees requested him to go to uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, then it was called Ceylon. And uh, he spoke Tamil like they did. And... Uh, and uh, he went to some Shiva and said, I, I don't think I'm the right person. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm such a, a kind of introverted person. I don't think I'm going to be the right person for this. But uh, Swami Shivananda said, you go, I'll work through you. And uh, so he went and spent, I don't know, I think 13 years in, uh, in Sri Lanka and did some amazing service there. Uh, we'll see with the tea plantations, the workers on the tea plantations, Bringing uh, yoga, and he met uh, he met the uh, one of the heirs to the I think it was Revlon, mm. named Conrad Rooks. Mm-hmm. Conrad Rooks was asking around when he was in Sri Lanka, "Where can I learn yoga?" They said, "Oh yeah, you got to go to the Swami." And they had a tremendous connection, and uh, he uh, Conrad Rooks asked him to come to Paris, and then I think Conrad couldn't make it, but he met Peter Max there in Paris. And uh, Peter Max was just blown away. He'd never seen anyone like, like Swami Satchitananda. And he says, we really need you in America. Please come to New York. And uh, he came supposedly for two days. He spent uh, so many years, I don't know, decades there. And he came at the right time. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there was so many of us were just looking for something. We didn't know what the heck it was. We didn't know how we were going to get it. Our hearts are in the right place, but we definitely, you know, like uh, Woodstock said, uh, love and love, peace and music. But we didn't know how to find love and peace. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he, finally, someone came to help us understand how do you find I was peace and love and music? How do you find that? And and he said to us, you know, you guys keep getting high, coming down, getting high. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to just get get high and stay high? He said, yes, that's what we're looking for. He said, well. This path of yoga, it was, it's not, you know, quick, but uh, it's a gradual, steady path. And we said, okay, sir, let's try that. 
and he was just the right person to come at the right time. So, Swami, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, in yeah. every spiritual tradition, there's, a, I would call, an end goal of, of enlightenment or God consciousness, cosmic consciousness, call it whatever. Did uh, uh, Swami Satchidananda speak about that, that in this life you should be self-realized? Or what, 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 what did he, um, what target in terms of spiritual growth or what, what uh, signpost did he give you to indicate that you were making progress and what ultimately were you headed toward? He definitely wanted us to strive earnestly toward a committed life of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And he also wanted us not to drive ourselves crazy with, with that. Uh, he, even, he, he would often say, even in the name of God, don't lose your peace. Mm. Peace is your God. Keep your mind poised. Uh, so, for someone like me, who uh, was always kind of anxious, I have the name Ashokananda. Ashoka is like anxiety or worry. Mm -hmm. Ashoka, free from. Sometimes you're given the name that you need to work on. So now I had an excuse to be anxious because I wasn't enlightened. Uh, and I used that excuse uh, <laughs> to keep on certain, certain neurotic conditioning. But he, he often said, no, no, don't worry about that stuff. And it really took me decades to, I still feel uh, as committed as ever or even more committed to the unfoldment of my true nature. But I don't think it's going to happen by me uh, getting frenetic or frantic about it. I have to mm -hmm. just uh, one step one foot, next foot ahead and, uh, uh, and really always understand it's already there. It's not something you're going to get. Uh, you just don't disturb it, is what he kept telling us. Peace is your nature. <laughs> Do not disturb it. So it's a, it's a very, it's almost a paradox of you, you thirst for it and you keep yourself totally at peace about it. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, uh, Swami, I think that's yeah. great advice for any seeker because so often I think people get on a spiritual path and they have these great expectations right away and then uh, anxiety can set in, uh, you know, disappointment, but uh, I, I think the advice of your guru, of Swami Satchidananda, of just, you know, slow and steady moving toward it, maintaining that peace is, is a very important perspective for anybody that sets down any spiritual path. Um, it helped me a lot, because you can, you're not complacent, right. and you're not anxious. There's some yeah. place in between mm -hmm. those. And okay. you're not uh, goal-driven, to Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, Swami, um, Satchidananda came... Uh, <clears throat> and at first he had he was teaching um, in an apartment up on w upper west side right. and then things exploded uh around the time of Woodstock and um he opened the center on 13th street where you're speaking to us from right. and that's been a mainstay of the new york yoga scene um uh all these years right almost 50 years later yeah. and um and he called his system integral yoga right from the beginning and was one of the uh, first yoga masters to to train people who came to be called yoga teachers right. and now they're on every street corner and and you know used to be the only game in town below 14th street and now right. you know <laughs> there's a million yoga places so tell us um 
what he meant by integral yoga and why he called it that and um, how um, you've maintained, uh, presumably maintained the integrity of that even in the uh, these days uh, where yoga is ubiquitous. Yeah. I mean, even in those days, he understood that Hatha yoga was the way to attract people. Mm. Uh, people identify themselves as the physical body, and and they want the physical body to not minimally not be botheration, maybe even feel good. And and the asanas and pranayama really work. So it's true that uh, even at the beginning, that was what we primarily did. But we understood and. He made it clear to us that's just our calling card, and that's the way to to start people off. Um, but the the whole system of yoga, basically integral yoga, is is Ashtanga yoga, the eight limb system of yoga, or Raja yoga, um, which deals with every part of the personality of a person. So we're a physical person. We need to keep the body in good shape. And also, because we identify with the body, uh, we tend to want to be active. So how can we be active in a way that uh, nourishes our soul? That's called karma yoga. We have emotions. They mostly get us into trouble, create attachments. But if we can direct the emotions in the right way, it can really also uh, help us understand what true love is. That's bhakti yoga. We have an intellect. It's pretty muddled and cloudy. Uh, we don't really understand why we're here. If you clarify that intellect and probe deeply into the inner world rather than the outer world, you can you can really understand who you are, and that's jnana yoga. And then, you know, having a, a steady meditation practice is considered raja yoga. So he... Those four yogas are, are, the, are the essence of integral yoga. And he wanted us to have an integrated personality, not to be imbalanced in any one way. Some schools focus on, on one of those aspects. Uh, he wanted to make sure that we developed in all, all levels of our being so we had more integrated personalities. And, and I do think to this day uh, we, we really understand that and, and teach that uh, we still, most of our classes are around Hatha Yoga, but uh, we, have, uh, we have plenty of, of workshops and, and many teachings on the deeper aspects of yoga. And as the decades have gone by, there's more and more interest in those deeper aspects. Mm-hmm. People do evolve from the physical nature, and then they start hearing the chants. Can, can we do some more of the chanting? What's this meditation stuff? My mind is still restless. Can you teach me how to meditate? Um, uh, I'd like to hear about bhakti yoga, you know, uh, what is this, can I, I was taught something in in the Christian tradition that this is the only way, but uh, maybe there's another way to love God that isn't mm-hmm. so exclusive. So uh, uh, we, we've we kept that up, and I would say over the decades, I think the culture has evolved to have more interest in those deep, more subtle aspects. I, I would agree. Uh Swami, I have one final question. First, I want to thank you okay. for coming on, taking the time, and also for your thank tremendous you. honesty as as a seeker and, <laughs> and all that you've gone through. And I want to say that uh, the center where you are now in New York City, I've been there, and it's a wonderful place, a oh. wonderful feeling. So I just want you to let people know if they wanted to 
follow up and find out more about uh, Swami Satchidananda and you and what you're teaching, uh, how would they go about doing that? Okay, uh, our center is in uh, Greenwich Village in Manhattan, uh, 227 West 13th Street. That's between 7th and 8th Avenue. Uh, it's, it's become a very kind of exclusive part of, of New <laughs> right. York. Uh, Nothing cheap right down there. The yeah. meat market. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and um, they could email me uh, at Ashokananda, uh, uh, ASO. K-A-N. We'll, we'll, have this all posted, yeah, we'll have this all posted up on our blog. Okay, uh, okay. Podcast, so yeah, yeah. But we uh, should be clear. We're talking about the New York Center, but there are New integral York, yoga in uh, worldwide. places yeah. all over. I'll give you the phone number, uh, 212-929-0586. And, yeah, we love to, if you're hearing this and you can make it to New York City, uh, Please come in and see what we have to offer. Great. And you can find online uh, all the other integral yoga um, facilities like Yogaville in Virginia and the yes, others. Yes, yes. Um, so we'll have that up. I, I had one more question for you, Swami. Okay, let's see. Um, Swami Satchidananda passed probably, what, 14 or 15 years ago? Uh, 2002, yeah, uh, 15 years ago, yes. Yeah. So um, a lot of the uh, organizations that are established around a founding guru, uh, you know, there are challenges when the guru passes. Sure, sure. And uh, in some cases, the guru has um, uh, a, a successor who's right. the next guru in line. And in other cases... It's not so, and the uh, organization they started, uh, the institution, uh, takes on a different form rather than um, a new guru. Um, right. How did uh, Integral Yoga adapt, and um, what is the sort of... Because uh, you're still there. It's 15 years. You're doing well. We're doing well. Yeah, uh, he, I think he played around with the idea of successor and ultimately decided not to have one person. He said, let, the, let people choose who they want, who they're drawn towards, who they're attracted to. It doesn't have to be one person to give all that authority to and the main focus of an organization. So I think he gave it a good amount of thought and chose not to go that route. Mm -hmm. And it's true that that could leave the door open for things to fall apart in some ways. But that didn't seem to happen to us. Uh, I think... He worked on our egos enough during the 30 more years we were with him that uh, we didn't get into big ego battles. You know, we're still human. We still have different understanding of what he taught us. But basically, it's a very harmonious organization. And, um, yeah, we have a board of trustees uh, made up of some mostly senior members, some newer people. So we have the next generation coming up. Um, we have an international group called the, Inter uh, the Integral Yoga Global Network where the heads of different centers around the world uh, regularly connect with each other and talk about common issues. And it was interesting to see that because I was there when, when Swami Sashtana left the body. I was, I was the president of, of the ashram at the time. And there was some concern, uh, are things going to fall apart now without that yeah. charismatic leader? But uh, things, I would say, flourished more once he left the body. And he always said that. He always said that, you know, I can only do so much 
within this physical body. But uh, much more is going to happen once I leave the body. Mm. And more and more people are, are coming to live either in the ashram or around the ashram. Uh, the ashram is doing really well these days. So, uh, yeah, I think it was good to see that uh, a real good organization goes on for many generations past its founder. And I think that's what's happening with us. Very good. Very good. Excellent. Well, uh, and, thank you uh, for being with us. Yes. Thank, thank you, you so Phil and Dennis. What a great time for me to be with you guys. Fabulous. All right. We'll enjoy it. We'll Keep up the good work. And we'll do yeah, it again sometime. You too. All right. Okay, All the best. Okay, that'll be great. Right. Om Shanti. Bye-bye. Om Shanti.